When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Welcome to the Writer's Room, where the funny writers who sit in funny rooms and write funny stuff for other people finally get to talk. Here's your host, Emmy-winning writer and comedian, Jeff Cesario. I got him right where I want him, folks. Lou Schneider is here. Uh, Everybody loves Raymond, men of a certain age, the Goldbergs, a few other things. Who is that? I'm coming to you. I'm recording live. You're, oh, that's right. From, You're live. From, from, the childhood, from the childhood bedroom of former long pole defenseman for the Rutgers Scarlet Knights, Christopher Grohl, one of the greats. Because oh, <laughs> our house is under construction. So I'm, I'm, at, I'm in someone's childhood bedroom, which seems creepy, but I know Christopher. And what a... What, what, I'm sorry this isn't more sports oriented anymore because I, I literally like his little cross helmets are here. <laughs> yeah, it's a it's a fine history of <laughs> Rutgers sports, which no one needs. Really. No, no. <laughs> maybe maybe not. This is Lou, the kind of we followed similar through. paths in this sense. We both started, I believe, as stand ups. We both flirted with pilots slash shows built around ourselves. Right. Uh, those both, uh, to be respectful, crashed and burned in well, some had, respect. With, with a little, and with a little, with a little and then, we, then we pivoted to a writing. Now, the asterisk for Lou Schneider, ladies and gentlemen, because <laughs> only mine crashed and burned, apparently. Lou's was a huge success. No, no, no. But enough to go, wait a minute. Because when, when they're done with you, I'm sure you're getting into this. When when they're done with you as an actor, they're done until they say you're you're invited back in, or until you can make your own gravy somehow. And I, uh, my gravy was on the writing side. I always, I was always uh, interested in what the writers are doing, partially in a self-serving way. I thought maybe if I cozied up, they'd write jokes for me. And right. then I sort of hung around with those people and thought, wow, this is fun, and you can do that. You can write whenever you want. If you act whenever you want, they'll lock you up. If you just go out there and start acting on the street, they'll medicate you and and put you in the criminal justice system. But or you're a massive star on TikTok. But either way, right, right. But I could write, and I was encouraged to write. And um, who encouraged you to write? Well, one one person encouraged me to write was my father, who said, "I just think you're going to be a writer," which was his way of saying. I don't see it. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I took great umbrage. Uh, but I think Dad just doing the math in his head. When do the uh, actuarial say I'm going to die? Is Lou free and clear? No, he's not. I got to encourage him a little more. My, my dad also, he was a comedy nerd in some ways. I mean, he was a social worker, but he loved Carl Reiner, Mel Brooks, and oh, sure. and he loved. I mean, in those days, you could love Cosby, and he uh, he loved um, Jackie Mason, and he loved Bob Newhart, and so he he would play comedy albums, and I would just 
do those because you couldn't bring the albums in the car. He would just say, do that. And I would just regurgitate that stuff. And he was, uh, and so he, and he loved Buck Henry. And he said, you, you know, you are, you're just not going to be content being an actor. You're going to want to write. And he, he, he actually said, I don't, it's not that I don't think you're a good actor. He said, but she was probably lying, but he, uh, but he said, I just think you're going to be more involved as a writer. And he, he was right. He was right. The old man. So you are getting tremendous practice in the car from your dad, making you run these bits. Thank God technology hadn't caught up yet. (laughs) You might not have cleared it. Is that what propels you into stand up, or is it also the notion that stand up might be a good way to get to writing? Uh, I, I was not, you know, I, I, I wish, I wish Jeff that I could say, oh, I had this grand, you know, I had this, this, this grand scheme and this plan, some kind of master plan. I didn't. I, I was, I was a, I wasn't a class clown, but I was funny enough that, you know, when the te- I didn't make fun of teachers you know, in, in class, but after class or, you know, on buses, I'm, I'm good in conveyances. I, I, right. I was good on buses and vans. And, and so I, I, I tend to keep things light at the back of the JV soccer bus. How and, does it go in a canoe when it's the <laughs> right, crowd's right. a little tighter? How's that <laughs> still work? <laughs> right. I was on dirigibles for a while. I was good. And, uh, and so you're on fire on dirigibles. <laughs> So many people have watched my act and said, "Oh, the humanity!" It's all <laughs> anyway. So I, so so then I did like one, like many people, I did like the talent show in high school. I did you know ten minutes of stand up, which was basically ten minutes of doing impressions of different teachers and, right. and school lunch observations. And well, uh, you read the room. Those, <laughs> that's those are smart areas. Yeah, it's all I had, and and then of course I thought that I had it, I, I had nailed it. I really, I, I had a good set. And then, you know, a few years later at, I went to college and they needed a, well, they didn't need it. I convinced this, the performing arts council that they needed a host for a three day rock and roll festival to go up between the bands during the day. Everybody's drunk. Everybody's tripping. I should do, I should be the host uh, with six hours of time to kill. So you literally walked up to Mike Tyson and said, hit me in the jaw. That's exactly right. Well, they said Paul Provenza had gone to my college and they said, Provenza. This is University of Pennsylvania, folks. This is Ivy League. Uh, yeah, but that, but I, I was hated by people with SAT scores much higher than my own. And, and they and I went up there and I thought I thought that that act I'd done in high school was like like a bread starter that if I'd left it for like four years, it would have expanded to six uh, hours. Yeah. And it, it didn't. And no. so after about 35 seconds, I was getting murdered. I mean, I was like, like bombing, like the Hindenburg. I mean, it was terrible. Wow. But, but I have to say it was one of those. And that's when I knew I was going to marry the woman, the, my girlfriend, my then girlfriend who's now my wife of the, we've been together 40 years. We've been married 37. And she, I could see her out there. She was that face in the crowd and I could see her, First of all, moving your head as if to say, like, watch it. You're getting something's coming from your right. Something's coming from the left. And, and and she gave she this. She might as well have just said, I love you, because she said, I thought you were funny. That's great. <laughs> That's great. Anyone who can uh, blow smoke up your ass after that <laughs> and function as an Air Force targeteer. <laughs> she was unbelievable. The fact That's that impressive. People, and also, you know, people, if you, you know, you have the right wife when she says things like, you know, 
this is outdoors. You know, that the, the, the sound's getting lost. You know, they, it, like she was blaming everything but me. He's and a natural-born manager. But now, of course, now, now, after all these years, she's like, you can't say that. That's terrible. <laughs> well, she knows now. She has legal protection. She's- <laughs> you, is that what you said? I, something like that. Did anybody she's laugh? In. So, so you start to work the clubs. I'm guessing New York. No, no, Chicago. I went to Chicago first because I went to study improv after college. At Second City. Yeah, and I never auditioned for the for the troupe because I started improvising on Sunday nights with, it was quite a good group. It was Stephen Leo. Do you remember those guys? Sure. They wrote uh, the Santa Claus right. franchise. They were excellent. And they were super funny. And Jeff Garland was out there and Bob Odenkirk was out there. Wow. And, uh, we had a pretty good group. And, and the there was never any audience. So we were able to do whatever we wanted and uh, they needed stand up, So I started doing stand up then. And then I moved to New York and then from New York, I got a, a, a TV show and then another TV show and I moved to Los Angeles and then got no more TV shows. <laughs> so, <laughs> so now that. you meet Ray in New York. Is this the connection? So you meet Ray initially in the stand up world, right? Then right. Ray Romano traverses over Gets well, a sitcom deal. Well, you know, Letterman Company, I believe. Yeah, you, you probably call you with him. Well, no. Here's what happens, and you probably had this too. Uh, sometimes in 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 show- I had it, but but I will point out now in the mu- much less lucrative world of talk variety. Go well, ahead. But Jeff, you you've done. Don't sell yourself short. And you you know how it is. If you can get a couple of people to agree on you, so. Uh, you become, you know, if you, if you have two two uh, seals of approval, you you can get it. And one of the TV shows I'd done was on sh- a show on Fox called Down the Shore. And one of the writers on Down the Shore was Phil Rosenthal. And so we had become friends. And Phil had said, would you help me out on this pilot? Do you know Ray, Ray Romano? I'm doing a pilot for Ray. I said, oh, he's great. You know, he's great. You know, unbombable. He can't, he never bombs. He's the best. And, and so Phil said, uh, yeah, he'd, he'd uh, you know, we've been talking about you. If you'd like to come and help on the pilot, it'd be great. And there was some measure of comfort there, like you said, because I knew Ray from, from New York and I'd kind of gone through a little bit of what he was going through at the time. And so I think there was some kind of comfort level there. And so both of those guys agreed on me. And so uh, same thing kind of happened for Steve Scrovan because Phil had kind of met Steve and Ray knew Steve. So there were a couple, and then this guy, Tom Caltabiano, so and Mike Roy. So there were a few standups on that right. staff. That's um, impressive though to when a project comes down to human connection um we'd like to hope it happened more often than it did or than it does but when it does it's pretty cool to and then there's a little bit of kismet involved you are on a show called down the shore you're acting on it it could be a huge catapult for you Uh, you know if if it takes off yeah. It could be the thing. It doesn't. Right. But that experience, instead of just going, ah, I can't take it anymore, feeds a, a knowledge base that you then share with a Phil Rosenthal and a Ray Romano, even if it's unspoken, even mm-hmm. if it's just a comfort in the room. And, and I'll say it quickly so you can respond. But I, I know one of the reasons people stand-ups liked me as an exec producer for them was because I'd also been out there on the dime in front of 5,000 people 
having to make them laugh. And just that unspoken understanding of that thought process, it can take years for a pure writer to have to earn from a star. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Jeff, uh, you don't need to leave me anytime. You said it perfectly. That That's exactly right. The, 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 that there's that sort of sense of having, having been in the trenches, right. they understand it, you understand it. And, and it was good for Phil. Phil had never done, he'd done maybe a little stand up, but he had watched a ton of it and he really was a connoisseur. And it was just one of those things, even to this day, if you talk to Ray about, you know, he does what my wife does. He's like, how's the room? Oh, what, you know, he still complete. He says one of his worst gigs was the Obama inauguration because Oh, the band was playing. The you know the electoral college was letting out. Who you know? Like he had a bunch of he had real trouble. Like the lights. I'm like Ray. You're the you're one of the arguably the most famous stand up in the country at the time. Like I'm sure you did fine. No, terrible. Oh, that is a rationalization none of us will ever be able to use. Oh, the no. electoral college was letting out, <laughs> and the commotion, and a lot of a lot of things were happening. <laughs> democracy was being upheld that's that's <laughs> awesome so you start in this room you've had a little bit of experience here and there was it on down the shore where you were popping into the room here and there and watching the writers work nope another one of those connections jeff i had a show before that called wish you were here which is about a guy who goes around europe with a video camera it was a little ahead of its time now everything looks like that everything looks, looks like someone has held their camera out at an arm's length and shot themselves in a place. You know, it's a TikTok video. Um, in this day and age, back when we shot it in the summer of 90, I was holding the uh, DP's wrist as he held the camera, and it looked like I was holding it, a video camera. So you never ah, saw right. um, And they sent one, I, they, we shot the pilot in Hungary, and the only writer on, uh, on the set was a guy named Peter Tolan. Oh my God! Analyze this. He You're wrote, gonna have one guy. Yeah, he's Larry the guy. Sanders show. Yes, yes, and of course he was. gonna say won an Emmy for Larry Sanders, and he was where. By the way, we, sorry, we have to bump Jeff. We have to bump Jeff Cesario. My apologies <laughs> to Jeff Cesario. Um, <laughs> make me laugh every time. So, uh, so, so there's Tolan over there, and we became buddies because we're also from Massachusetts, and um, he had a. We were screwing around and just riffing. And he said, we were doing an idea. And he said, that's a show. Let's pitch it. And we went and pitched the show and sold it. So my first, I, my first TV writing job was for Peter. Wow. And we did a show called the George Wentz show, which is based on car talk, but George's rhythms do not fit that show. And that, that crashed and burned fast and hard, but it got me in the room, taught me how to do it, made me conversant in, in, you know, in the form and in the, in the lingo. And I was able to, to, to work again. You know, once you have one job, you can get another job. It's the hard, the first one's the hardest. Uh, before we go on, I have to mention that uh, Peter Tolan started at Dudley Riggs in Minneapolis exactly in the right. same era where I was doing stand up in Minneapolis and doing uh, improv workshops at Dudley Riggs. That was sort of the second city of Minneapolis. Yeah, for sure. And Peter decided to try stand up one night. <laughs> and A, he crushed. Did he? And B, he started behind the curtain. Big intro, ladies and gentlemen, Peter Tolan, round of applause. Nothing yeah. happens. <laughs> People start to titter. And he's got the mic behind the curtain. And he goes, uh, folks, I'm a little leery 
are not coming out right now. I, I could use a little more. <laughs> he just he just did like two and a half minutes yes. behind the curtain. He, he, and I thought, was... wow, the stones on this guy. Just tremendous. He's... This is a great Peter Tolan story, I think. Never never start a thing with that, I think. He's the only person I heard that one time he was at a wedding and someone said, if there anyone, if there's anyone in this company who feels that these this man and woman should not be joined in holy matrimony, please speak now and forever hold their peace. And Tolan stands up and everybody turns and looks at him and he goes, Ah, it can wait. <laughs> 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 oh man that's brilliant yeah like he really does he has he has the stones man he's so funny that is that is unbelievable yeah so he's terrific and and i've always loved him and he 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 took a shine to me i guess enough to 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 let me make some mistakes in his room so it was really it was really a lucky break so you're sitting in his rooms and you're learning sort of the feel in that room and then you then you get hired on on everybody loves Raymond. Uh, yeah, I had a pilot, and then you know it didn't happen right away. I had a pilot that didn't go, and Michael Patrick King. I was lamenting that I couldn't. Oh, I got to get this pilot. I got to get another pilot this year. What am I going to do? And I was being offered. I was being offered a writing staff job. That was actually I was offered that show with Tolan and Michael Patrick King. A stand-up said, "Go through the open doors. Why are you?" Why are you beating yourself about maybe don't take this job because you might hold out for an acting job? Take the job. And and Tolan even said, what are you, what are you even debating this? He was, I'm giving you your freedom. And, I, and he was right. Uh, you know, as Phil Rosenthal himself said, when my wife asked him, when Liz once asked him, Phil, um, why did you be, you're so funny. Why did you become a writer instead of staying an actor? And he said, when I was an actor, I ate tuna fish for lunch every day. And when I'm a writer, I eat whatever I want. <laughs> and now, because he has a show on Netflix all about food, he eats absolutely whatever he wants, and he flies everywhere, and everybody watches and thinks he's adorable. So that's how that goes. <laughs> so, yeah. So you're in this room. Yeah. And who else is in the room? How does this get going? I, the, I, I'm so fascinated by on the Raymond room or on the stages of of shows because so many of them. Wilt on the vine, great ones, bad ones, media. It doesn't matter sometimes. I've been, I've and been you're in, in this, and it's, and it begins to get traction and, and, and goes. Yeah. And that has to be just, it, it was, it rush. was an absolute thrill. It, it is, it is one of those things where, first of all, we thought the show was pretty good. Um, it felt real, so real to the point that when Ray was assigned in one of the stage directions, he was supposed to drink, Ray pours, Ray pours himself a cup of coffee. Yeah, guys, I, I I don't drink coffee. And Phil had to explain, well, at some point you're going to have to start acting. Like, and, and I think they bargained it down to like a ginger ale, which he often did on the show. He would have a ginger ale. But, but I, think the, I think there was a little argument like it's eight in the morning. You're having ginger ale. I think we went around and around on that. Anyway, the point is we had a good group in there. Um, that that room was Aaron Shore and Jeremy Stevens, and Mike Royce and Cindy Shupak and Ellen Sandler at the time they were partners. Um, Susan Van Allen, Kathy Ann Stump was in there. Uh, Stephen Nathan was in there for just a brief time, and he went off. He he was sort of brought in to oversee Phil, maybe, and then he realized I don't have to oversee Phil. He knows exactly what he's doing, and we he went off to run a show called Inc. for Diane English, um, but he remained a friend of ours and. Uh, 
let's see who I mean, Tom Caltabiano. Yes, it was uh, Tucker Cawley, um, Scro. It, wow. Yeah, it was, it was a great room, and, and we got along very well. And the tone was set from the top down. Phil really sort of was able to tell you to shut up without you feeling so uh, put down that you wouldn't pitch again. That's a gift. You know, if yeah. you have an idea and the showrunner, that is, we're, we're not on that. We're not on what you're saying, but I, but stay loose because you're going yeah. back in. That's We've a- hit it a couple times on, on the podcast. And this is a fantastic example of it. There are fear-based rooms and there are uh, results-based rooms. Mm-hmm. And it sounds like you were in the latter. It sounds like Absolutely. Phil is running the room with a benevolence, but uh, still firmly. Yes, absolutely. He knew what he he knew what he wanted. And my, one of my favorite things is that he would say to somebody, "This guy used to jump up. He made the stupid mistake of jumping up to pitch. Never jump up to pitch because if you jump up and say I got it,' and you don't got it, it's a long trip down. You right. know, you're already standing. Now you have to sink back into your seat. Yeah, Where, it's it's it's, uh, it's, a, it's a trip that your feet are on the ground, but you still wish you had a parachute. Exactly, That's a long way. <laughs> that is a long wish. way. You know, what you kind of want to do is just sort of casually toss it out. And, I, you know, sometimes you can get in trouble with so many pre-apologies. You're torpedoing your own pitch. Like, I don't know if this is anything. <laughs> the Maybe. other end of the spectrum. Yes. This, you're low selling it. <laughs> yes. Low, right. You're low selling. And, and then someone goes, you're right. It's nothing. But see, you know, wait. then there's the other thing where you enlist a compatriot where you sort of pitch to the guy next to you or the person next to you. And, and you say, is this a thing? And then they say. Yeah, you should pitch that. And then you already got some, you already have some support over here. Right. Until this person bails on you. That's not what he said. You know, but anyway. So, right. So, Phil in that room would, you, you'd stand up, you'd say, I got it. And Jeremy would do it. Jeremy Steen would jump up and go, I got it. And he'd pitch something. And Phil would say, Yes. And Jeremy would exult and say, Right. And he said, No, not what you said, but that shitty idea gave me a good idea. Sit down. <laughs> <laughs> That used to make me laugh so hard. Always inclusive. Yes, always inclusive. But hard, hard, hard for us to watch Jeremy sit back into the seat, but fun, fun. So now, after, when do you know that this is something? Oh, you asked that question, I'm sorry. As a show, when do you feel like, wow, well, wait a second, we're, is it during season one? Is it after? Okay. When? When is it? Terrific on everybody loves Raymond. Right. Okay. So we're number 98 in the ratings. Ray's told this story a million times. We're about 98, 99. We're we're right on Moesha's ass, as Ray would say. Uh, (laughs) So we're we're drafting off what in those days, what was a terrible number, which now you would kill for. We're drafting off a 12 share from Dave's world on Friday night in a slot that hadn't produced a hit since Gomer Pyle. Um, And we are, but we're getting good reviews. We're getting really good reviews, and someone, someone or less himself, Les Moonves, uh, noted uh, molester said, uh, "You should harass." Anyway, no, you should. We're going to put this show on Monday nights. Now I can't remember now, either following Cosby or in the Cosby slot, and give it a try. And so they, we got on that night, and we. Went, it was sort of late in the season, probably like maybe it was during sweeps. Maybe it was like February sweeps in those days. And I think we went up from the lead in. And which might not say much until either the show behind us tanked, like people stuck around for Raymond, then watched, then then bailed. And then the next week they gave us another chance and our number went up. So it was like after two weeks, all of a sudden it was like, uh oh, 
this thing has a life of its own. And that's when we were like, oh, we are off to the races. I remember that we were all at lunch and we got those numbers. That's in those days you used to wait for the calls to come in from your agents for numbers. And we got those national Nielsen ratings. And it was like, oh, you guys went up even from the from the fast nationals to the net, from the overnights to the nationals. And it was all blizzard at that point. Then it was like, start buying, start buying houses. Like you guys can, yeah. you, guys, you guys are going to be moving to Monday nights at nine. You were going to anchor, anchor Monday night. And then we stayed there, you know, for, you know, eight years at that right. point. I think, I don't know if we were at eight thirty in year two or nine, I'd have to look somebody out there. Fans know this, but certainly by year three, we're at nine o'clock on CBS and we were locked in. So sometimes the most unusual, mundane, intrinsic thing can flip the future of a show. Now, of course, Les, at the time, that's his job, is to Mm -hmm. take hunches like that. But who knows Mm -hmm. why he did that? But he just says, eh, let's give it a shot. Yeah. He doesn't say that. You're mired on Friday. Who knows what happened? Oh, no, we are canceled. We 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 get maybe... Maybe they bring us back another year on Friday because I think we, they probably would have bought us back, back one more year. We're doing okay. And the show had gotten good reviews. You know, reviews don't mean much, but if they're really great, uh, they can sort of – they'll be used as a tiebreaker, I think, maybe. Right, I, I right. A lot of good shows. You know, I've, I've, worked, I've seen a lot of good shows, and I've also been in rooms with some great writers. And the show – I've been on shows with great writers, and the show never, show never aired, you know, like – no, nope, they just decided. No, nope, no. How far. does that happen? Uh, and I was just talking to someone uh, over the weekend that on the priority list, merit is still there, mm-hmm. but it can range anywhere from second or third, sometimes perhaps even first, down to seventeenth or eighteenth. It could be under how good is the craft service. It, it merit can fluctuate in such a wide range. What are the reasons a show doesn't work with a writer's room where you look around and go, this is a cinch. Yeah. Oh, that, 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 this show, I was on the singles table. It had guys who went on to be on modern family. It had uh, guys from uh, Bill Maher. Uh, it had women who like uh, Christine Zander, who ran third rock from the sun. Like it had, it was chock full. It was a murderer's row of writers. And, uh, and uh, it, it just never saw the light. Martin and Schiff ran it. Those guys are running the neighborhood. Now. They, they, I mean, these guys were pros. It's like, nope, nope. It only takes, listen, it, it takes a million things to go right for a show to, to stick and only one thing to go wrong. You got a bad, you got a bad time slot. You got a bad star. You, your show is too expensive. They already have a show like it. There's a show on another network, which is similar to it and is already doing better. Like, nope, any of those things can kill it. That is a a great nugget. Uh, It takes a million things to go right for a show to work and only one thing to go wrong. 